0: Father, we thank you for this incredible privilege of uh, soaking in Scripture, thinking about uh, the gospel, thinking about the church, how you uh, lay out provisions for us. We pray that this issue, which is contentious, would not be divisive among us, but that we would extend each other charity, uh, unity, humility, and uh, that we can really have a, a good time of uh, thinking through these issues and to grow as a result. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Okay, so, um, so I'm, I'm going to address this issue of uh, the gifts of the Spirit, which is divisive. Um, and so I really want to emphasize that this is, in my opinion, and I think the opinion of most believers, this is a relatively peripheral issue. Um, Can you hand out everything? everything. Um, And therefore, it should not divide us, right? It's not even remotely close to a core gospel issue, okay? But it is something that uh, uh, the Bible does talk about, and it is something that Christians do disagree about. And so, kind of my approach or my um, uh, 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 mentality about this is I'm not necessarily trying to persuade you, you know, uh, in the way that I would try to persuade you in other matters. But, you know, because so many people have asked me questions about this, Uh, I decided it would be fruitful and beneficial simply for you to hear the arguments. And I bet most of you have never heard the argument for the fact that the gifts have ceased, or some of the gifts have ceased, right? This is maybe a new and novel argument for you, and so it will be beneficial. And so that's kind of the approach I'm... I'm, Right? So in other words, put your gloves down, take down your knives, (laughs) let's just have a civil, nice conversation. This topic is so enormous, or at least I just went kamikaze crazy on the research, (laughs) that I made it a three-part series, and so uh, there's a lot to be covered. Today we're just going to scratch the surface, we're just going to begin, but it's going to be a three-week journey, okay, and so strap on your seatbelts, it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, so first, some basic definitions. Uh, There's two camps, you're probably familiar with the word charismatic. Uh, but there, uh, it's. Uh, uh, I want to use another term, which is called continuationism, which is the idea that all the gifts continue. and This is where the word continuation continued. You guys see? Okay, easy mnemonic. <laughs> and then I'm going to present the case for cessationism, which is that all the extraordinary gifts, and these include prophecy, tongues, and miraculous healings. Okay, the triad of gifts have ceased, and that's where we get the word cessationism. Cease, cessate, easy mnemonic. Okay. Um, <clears throat> So, uh, let me first start by telling you the basic argument for continuationism, then the basic argument for uh, cessationism, and then we're going to launch into the actual breakdown of the argument. Okay? So first, the basic argument for cessationism, I think is very intuitive, which is that, first of all, all the gifts of the Spirit are for the benefit of the Church, are for the building up of the Church, and so why would God withdraw some of the gifts? Why would God cease some of the gifts when all of the gifts are for our benefit and for our nourishment, And, you know, a lot of times, uh, uh, continuationists look at the cessationist arguments. They're, like, scratching their head, you know? Like, how does that, where do people come up with that? And so a lot of times people think, oh, cessationists are those, like, really brainy, nerdy type people. You know, they're not emotional. They're not in touch with their emotions. And so they've never experienced the gifts, you know? And so maybe they just come up with this argument based on their own experience. And I hope to show you that it's not an experiential argument. It is a biblical argument. But let me just say this. A lot of your questions are going to be, but I experienced. So let us all agree that experience is not necessarily a, uh, uh, an accurate, truthful way to determine what is true and what is not. Because the continuous says, ah, I've experienced. But the cessationist can say, ah, oh, I haven't experienced. So let's put experience down on the table and let's just argue you know, from biblical. Of course, experience is important, right? But it's not a definitive. And so it's very intuitive. The, the continuation argument. So let me let me just show you Romans uh, chapter twelve. Let me just read it first, starting in verse six. Skip down to verse six. Having Paul's talking about the the, the the body of the church, all these different members having different gifts, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving. The one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so here's a continuation argument, right? You have all of these different gifts, right? There's a gift of generosity, gift of teaching, gift of prophecy, and they're all listed together. And so where is the rationale for pulling out one gift, right, which would be the gift of, of prophecy and saying this one is ceased, all the rest continue. Right, so it's a very intuitive argument. Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Let's go on, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, let's start having Priscilla read it. There you go, right? Again, office and gifts are connected. They're one and the same. So here you have the offices, right? You have prophets listed alongside with evangelists, pastors, teachers. And so why should we pull out prophecy and say this one has ceased, there's no more prophets, but there are evangelists and there are teachers. Mm -hmm. And in fact, doesn't Paul tell us, doesn't the Bible say again and again not to quench the spirit? 1 Thessalonians 5, let me read it. Do not quench the spirit, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. And therefore, isn't the cessationist quenching the spirit? Isn't the cessationist despising prophecies? And so that's the basic intuitive argument. And then finally, number two, there is no Bible verse that declares certain gifts will cease. That is true. I'm going to acknowledge that right now. And so there is no explicit Bible verse that says, oh, by the way, prophecies have ceased, tongues have ceased, And so what is the biblical argument? Oh, please join us. Hello. There are some handouts. Hello. All right, so to bring up to speed our visitors, um, I'm looking at the whole question of the uh, gifts of the spirit. And I've just summarized for you guys the continuationist argument. Because you have come late, you now do not know the continuation argument. Oh well, because I'm just gonna. <laughs> <focus on the laughs> um, all right. So, what is the basic argument for cessationism? Okay. Let me just start out by saying that the argument is non-intuitive. Jeff, can I have you sit all the way at the? Yes. Corner? Okay. The argument is non-intuitive, which makes it a very, very difficult argument to accept. All right. Let me let me wait till there's. Oh, ciao. I thought you were not going to come. What's going on? It's like you don't even want to know. <laughs> uh, there's there's seats somewhere. All right.
1: Hello. Hi.
0: All right, so let me give you the basic argument. Since we have so many new people, let me just say it again, okay? I'm sorry for all the old, old people who came on time continuationism is all the gifts of the Spirit have continued, are continued today, they're relevant today. Cessationism is that extraordinary gifts, and these are prophecy tongues, uh, miraculous healings, have ceased. They are no longer uh, operative today, okay? And so I'm presenting the case for cessationism. And so here's the basic argument. Okay, Here's a very quick summary nutshell argument, and then I'm going to unpack it for you. Number one, revelation has ceased. Okay, this is very important, okay? By the way, this argument is totally not intuitive, When you hear it, your first reaction is going to be, huh? So that's why it takes three weeks. I refuse to let you guys um, draw conclusions after the first week. You must stay all three weeks, okay? Because it takes three weeks to unpack it. All right, so first point, revelation. Okay, what is revelation? Revelation, this is important, so if you're taking notes, write this down, is God's word, okay? So it's God's word to us. And the first argument the cessationists will make is that revelation has ceased. There's no more revelation going on, and God is not telling us new things anymore, right? the The mm-hmm. New Testament is a closed book. We do not add to the New Testament, right? Because if the revelation continued, pull out your stapler every time there's new revelation. You need to staple it onto the back of end of Revelation, right? So that's the argument. Revelation has ceased, and that includes the New Testament writings, or what I'm going to call apostolic teaching, which means the teachings of the apostles, and prophecy and tongues. Okay, so that's the argument. Prophecy and tongues is Revelation, and therefore it has ceased, along with the New Testament. Alright? You're not going to get this at first, so just hold on to your riches. Alright? Second argument, okay? So basically what am I saying is prophecy, tongues, New Testament writings are all equivalent. Since the New Testament writings have ended, so have these, okay? Second argument is an argument about redemptive history. So let me write this down, because this is, this, is, this is a new concept from a lot of you. Also called salvation history. Redemptive history are unique, unrepeatable, events, foundational events in scripture. So for example, Jesus' crucifixion is redemptive history. We do not have a new savior being crucified in every generation. Jesus is the once and for all foundational sacrifice for our sins. Does that make sense? The The argument that cessationists are going to make, well let me just draw it graphically because I think this is really going to help us. Okay, so this is the Old Testament. This is the life of Jesus, okay, and this is the this is the uh, the church, all right. Everyone understand this graph? Now, the continuationists will say that redemptive history stops right here. So this is redemptive history, okay, and from this point forward, it is ongoing, repeated, you know, just ordinary history that is not once and for all foundational, but it, it just. It goes on and on. So, for example, like preaching the gospel. It doesn't just happen once and then we stand back. We preach the gospel every generation. Faith, conversion, sanctification, fellowship of the saints, all of these is part of the ongoing. Let me write ongoing. Okay? Okay, follow with me now. The cessationist position is that redemptive history stops here. And it's ongoing from this point. Now, what is this period? This period, yes, is what I will call the age of the apostles. Or the apostolic age. It is the the, the events that transpired in the book of Acts, including Pentecost, including uh, the church planning in, in Acts. So, therefore... Follow with the argument, the logic here. Okay, Therefore, this period is unique, unrepeatable, foundational events. We don't have a Pentecost every generation. We don't have apostles every generation. And there are signs and wonders. Okay, so follow with me. Signs and wonders connected to this age of apostles and therefore since the age of apostles is a foundational unique redemptive historical event so also are the signs and wonders and they have ceased therefore that's the argument alright is there any clarifying questions, do not ask me to elaborate because that's what the whole rest of the class is right? but is there any point of clarification before we move on alright good we don't have time for that. No, I mean, it's good. I mean, it's good. It's good. Let's go on. Let's move on. All right. Um, oh, let me, let me, let me, uh, let me um, outline the class for you. It's a little bit. It's going to be a little bit hard to follow the argument. So let me kind of graphically draw it for you. Apostolic age. My argument is that this is redemptive history. This is a unrepeatable, unique event, and tongues. prophecy, miraculous healings, <clears throat> is uniquely connected to this. So this is going to be my argument. This has ended. Therefore, this has ended. Okay. So it's going to seem a little weird, the argument, because I'm going to talk about this, then I'm going to talk about this and, this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. Okay. And then at the <laughs> end, I'm going to talk about <laughs> I'm going to go back to continuationists because continuationists have rebuttal arguments, and I will address the rebuttal arguments. Let me say once again: if you end up disagreeing with me, it is okay because we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. This is a relatively peripheral issue; it is not even remotely connected uh, to the core of the gospel. Tons of continuationists I deeply respect. Let me list some of them: John Piper, Mark Driscoll, uh, Wayne Grudem. I mean, they just go on and on and on. These are these are incredibly giants of theologians far be for me to say they're wrong, even though I kind of am saying they're wrong, but, um, <laughs> but, but, but no, I'm very, very serious here, okay, this, this, this is not a, a dividing
1: issue, okay, right. can, Sorry, can you uh, clarify, signs
0: and wonders, like, how does that, uh, how do those, how do people say they see them nowadays? Signs and wonders? Yeah. The continuationists? Yeah. We'll get to that. Okay. Because they do, they, they say it. that they continue. Okay. So we'll get to that. All right. All right, next column. <clears throat> um, so, let's begin with the Apostolic Age. The apostles are absolutely unique. All right, this is an argument that's relatively people accept, even continuationists. But i are going to park on this aspect for a little bit. Because once you understand this, you understand these. Does that make sense? So it's kind of like an indirect argument. I'm not going to address this so much as first this. And once you understand this, this will come into relief. Okay. So the apostles. Um, the word apostles is Greek word apostolos, which basically means one who is sent, okay? So let me, let me, apostle is, I don't know why I do that. Okay. Apostle is one who is sent, okay? Now, this is very technical. Very, I mean, this, this it has a very technical meaning. Um, first of all, there's someone who sends, right? And this person designates the representative. And this actually had a very technical, very, um, uh, like, for example, in the ancient world, there would be a king. Now, a king cannot personally negotiate with another king. And so they would send somebody, a representative, authorized representative, right? And this authorized representative speaks on behalf of the one they, they're sent from. And whatever they say, whatever their decisions, is they're acting as a proxy, right? They have the power of attorney. For the one who sends them. Does that make sense? This is a very unique role, and Jesus appointed these apostles. This had a very technical meaning in the ancient Greek world, and so let me show you, um, um, let, me, let me write this down. This is important. Authorized representative. Okay? Uh, Mark chapter 3. Let's have Ashley read it. Okay, let me stop right there. That word appointed is not a throwaway word. It is a very important word. He appointed. By the way, you know, for those of us who are believers, Jesus did not appoint you as an apostle. He called you to be his follower, to be his believer, but you are not an apostle because you must be personally appointed. Okay? I'll keep reading. There you go. (laughs) Boom. Apostle, you're appointed. Keep going. That they might be with him and he might send them Stop out. Stop right there. So do you understand? Apostles someone who's personally appointed and they're sent out. They're on a mission. What's their mission? To preach and have authority to test that. Yes. Okay, so there are two things that the apostles do. They teach, they authoritatively proclaim the gospel message about the one who sent them and they have authority. Okay, you and I do not have that kind of authority. They have that authority. They laid down the, the New Testament writings. They laid down the governance of the church. They laid down all of these stipulations and rules. For example, Jesus never spoke about circumcision. But the apostles decided you don't have to be circumcised to be a believer because they have that authority. Because um, they're appointed. They're sent. Uh, let's go to John chapter 20. Uh, Jeff, can you read that for us? Jesus had said this. All right, so pretty much the exact same point. After the resurrection, Jesus says, I'm sending you. I'm, you guys are apostles. And then he says in verse 23, If you forgive the sins of anyone, to are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness, it's withheld. By the way, none of us have that power. Okay, we don't decide these kind of things about the church. The apostles have this unique authority. And you see that story, for example, Ananias and Sapphira, right? They, they uh, lie to the Holy Spirit, and Peter says, You lie to the Holy Spirit, and they die right there, right? Peter, as an apostle, has that authority. They're unique. It's absolutely a unique, unrepeatable, redemptive historical event. The apostles, um, and therefore, next point: the apostles are the foundation of the church. And this is really uh, a key, key verse. And so, we're gonna, let's let's think this through. Okay, this is very important. Ephesians two. Can I have uh, Yvonne read it for me? <coughs> This is very important, okay? This is, um, Peter is evoking a, uh, uh, an architectural metaphor. Ah, oh, Ashley, <laughs> just the right person. All right, Ashley, you've studied architecture. Hopefully you're not going to fail this question. <laughs> when you study how buildings are made, how many foundations are there in a building? How many layers are there? Maybe I asked it in the wrong maybe I asked it in an uncouth, unarchitectural way. Like and basically, how many foundations are there? <laughs> do not fail me, Ashley. Just one. Just one. <laughs> You're not just saying that because I'm coaching you, right? This is true, right? Architecturally, right? Yes. I witnessed this myself. When I see a building, I do not see foundation upon foundation upon foundation upon foundation all the way up. Foundation happens only once right notice the the architectural metaphor right the church which is us right we we're, we're saints is the whole structure and we're built on the foundation which is the apostles and therefore it also says prophets but we're going to skip that for now get back to that later the apostles right which means it happens only once and notice what else peter says he says jesus christ himself being the cornerstone now this you're not going to know so much but in the ancient world, everything was built out of stone. Does anyone know what a cornerstone is? The most important part of the foundation. Yes, it is the most important part, but but, but why? The one that takes like, all the weight or something. No, no. <laughs> masonry. You studied masonry also, right? <laughs> no. Like, joints. No. All right. <laughs> This is what I just read, so I'm not speaking from experience, I'm not amazing.
1: What you do is you
0: lay down one stone, the keystone, and all the other stones are lined up to the cornerstone. So if the cornerstone is five degrees off, the whole building will fall apart because it's based on it being a perfect cube, right? So it has to be perfectly carved and etched. So the cornerstone is Jesus, and the foundation is the apostles. What is Peter saying? This is the foundational layer. What is Peter saying? He's saying Jesus and the apostles is the foundation. He's saying cessationist argument. This is the foundation. Not it, it doesn't just, it's not just ongoing ministry. Does that make sense? If the apostles are the foundation, they do not keep repeating. We do not need foundational layers on through the centuries. Now let me pause there very briefly and open it up. Any clarifying questions here? Yes.
1: Oh, I'll just do the
0: clarifying question later after we open it up. Oh, okay. Is that well, yeah, I'm opening <laughs> oh. it right now. Oh. Okay. <laughs> um. So the age of apostles immediately ends after the last apostle dies. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. And by the way, um, um, yeah, I'll, I'll get to that later. But, anyways, all right, good. So let's let's. This is the next point, right? Connected point. Apostles are foundational eyewitnesses. The reason why the apostles are uniquely fitted to be authorized representatives once we're sent is because they are eyewitnesses. Because they saw, they lived, they experienced Jesus personally. Okay, This is Peter addressing his disciples. Acts chapter 1, where are we? Harry, can you read that for us? All right, so stop right there. So Judas fell away. Judas was one of the original 12. And they say, okay, we got to have another what? Just teacher? Just preacher? No, we have to have another witness. Now, who's law? Nobody's law. Okay, I'll, I'll just say it, okay? When you have a law court, you cannot call a witness who was not there. <laughs> right? You cannot say, I heard. No. Are you a witness? Right? Apostles are witnesses, which means apostleship is restricted to the first generation of believers only. Does that make sense? None of us are witnesses. We have not seen Jesus. If you have, come talk with me later. Okay, only the original first generation, right? Uh, Keep reading on. Keep reading. So, Matthias was chosen to what? Be an apostle because he was a witness. He was part... See, Jesus had a a, a close circle of 12, but he also had a, a lot of other people who just followed him and witnessed everything. And so, from among that circle of witnesses they chose Matthias you must be a witness and if you're a witness it's foundational right the apostolic age does not continue because there are no more witnesses um, Acts chapter 10 this is Peter talking uh, um, Chewy can you read that and we are witnesses okay, stop <laughs> so Peter basically says we are witnesses right we're not just teaching we are witnessing keep going All right, stop right there. It's like a little bomb, right? He did not. He did not appear to everyone, but only to us who were specifically chosen as witnesses. Therefore, I'm sure you guys are thinking I'm beating a dead horse here. The apostles cannot continue. Apostleship cannot continue because it is foundational. It's once, once and for all they are eyewitnesses there are no more eyewitnesses um, uh, keep going who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judged of the living right how can you testify unless you've witnessed does that make sense And so the apostles are utterly unique role. And I'm sorry, can you flip back to the other page? If you look at the second column, John chapter 20, this is why in verse 20, Jesus said to his disciples, he showed them his hands and his side. Why did he do that specifically to them? He's like, come here, guys. Touch my side. Touch my hands. Come touch it. Why? So that they can tell people, I touched his hands. I touched his side. I saw he's resurrected. Jesus is alive. Does that make sense? Okay, um... 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Some of you are saying, what about Paul? Paul's an apostle. Paul did not see these things. Paul had this argument thrown in his face all the time. This is why in Acts, in the book of Acts, um, Luke records Paul's conversion three times. It's repeated three separate times. Nothing else in the Bible is repeated three times because this was such a contested issue that Luke had to hammer it home Three separate times. And this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? When did did Paul see Jesus? Bible quiz. When did he see him? On the road. On the road to? Damascus. Damascus. There we go. Jesus personally appeared to Paul. He said, I'm resurrected. Now, Paul, I'm sending you. You're my apostle. Does that make sense? That's what make Paul that's what makes Paul an apostle. He's the last apostle. There are no more after him. Okay? Any questions, right? This is relatively non controversial. We're about to enter the controversial part, but unless you understand this, <coughs> nothing else makes sense. Any clarifying questions? Yes. Um yes.
1: Yeah, Do you need anyone
0: to testify To verify. Well, Luke, if you if you if you notice in the in the Acts account, Luke makes note that there were other people there, the soldiers. They did not personally see Jesus, but they heard a voice and they saw a bright flash of light. And then, um, and then, uh, Paul specifically, uh, what is it? Uh, who was the person? But there was a, another disciple, another Christian, whom God came to and says, "Paul, I've chosen as my apostle." And then Paul says. You know I was personally chosen by God, right? This is not by human decision. this is my divine appointment, but he went to the other apostles and the other apostles affirmed Paul and says, yes, you're an apostle with us. Peter says Paul's an apostle and so uh, 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 that's so there's all these confirming uh, uh, um, supporting evidence that Paul's an apostle. Great question um, let's go on uh, so here here we enter choppy waters all right, turn on your skeptical glasses. <laughs> The eyewitness is accompanied by signs and wonders, okay? Signs and wonders is part of the eyewitnessing, okay? Let me read to you Acts chapter 1. This is a critical passage because we're going to come back to it. Let me just write this down. This is Ephesians 2.20. If you ever want, like, verses, that's the first one. And then the second one is Acts eight. okay? So let's... Let's look at the passage. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to teach, to do and teach, until the day that he was taken up, after he had had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. There it is again, right? Very clear. Apostles are personally chosen. To them, he presented himself alive after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. They are apostles. That's why he showed them proofs. He said, I'm alive. I'm resurrected. Watch, I'm going to eat this fish. Right? So he gave them proofs and evidences. Verse 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Why? But to wait for the promise of the Father. What is this promise? Which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This is very important. Okay? And this connects to these gifts of the Spirit. All believers have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do to us? Regenerates our hearts, turns our hardened heart into a heart of flesh. Right, uh, 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 gives us life. But the Holy Spirit has a different and distinctive uh, relationship with the apostles. Not only does the Holy Spirit do that to the apostles, but the Holy Spirit gives the apostles power. It gives them a unique uh, added, uh, uh, unique uh, signs and wonders to support and to verify their eyewitness. Okay, let me let me show you. Can let me prove this to you. Um, and so, let me, let me write this down, okay? Because the Holy Spirit empowers the eyewitness. Okay? This is very important. Uh, let me continue. Verse 6. So, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Listen. But you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria. This is the mission, right? They're to do it in Jerusalem, Samaria, the ends of the world and, and to the ends of the earth. And when he has said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, um, again, apostles are witnesses and They're not just, Jesus doesn't say, okay, go out there, guys, witness, and testify. He says, I'm going to give you power. There's a specific power that the Holy Spirit confers on them. And this power is connected, right, because that's what Jesus says. It's connected to them being witnesses. Now, a lot of times, people read Acts chapter 1-8, and they think that this applies primarily to us believers. We are to be witnesses. We are to preach the gospel In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is not true. It is only derivatively true. It is only uh, uh, um, peripherally true, but it is spoken to the apostles because we are not witnesses. He says, Be my witness. This is a very technical term in the Bible, right? I don't tell people, I've witnessed the resurrection. People will be like, Oh, really? Right? I say, The apostles witnessed the resurrection. Read the New Testament accounts, read Acts, read. Paul, Galatians, read, read, read the Gospels. Does that make sense? And so, uh, 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 the witnessing is accompanied by power, and it goes to um, what? What was I saying? Uh, 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 it, it's only spoken to the apostles, and that's why it goes to this issue right here, right? Because Acts chapter one eight describes this very specific mission that's confined to the apostolic age. And I'm going to argue that the apostles fulfilled this mission. And therefore, we don't fulfill it. It's been done. It's finished. It's complete. The apostles, therefore, the apostles of age has ceased. Now, does that mean every single person in the the world, does that mean Papua New Guinea has been reached? No, but yes, in a representative sense. And I'll get to that, okay? So uh, let me keep reading um, John chapter 20. We've already kind of looked at this, but let me draw the dots. Jesus said to them, again, peace be with you. Right? We read this already. As the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. See, this sending, this commission, is connected with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and witnessing are connected in a unique way. And they're connected basically because the Holy Spirit gives signs and wonders. All right, let me prove that to you. Um, If you have any questions, just please hold it, okay? Because this is the next argument. This is the link. The, 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 the power that's conveyed, right? This power is, is this. Tongues, prophecies, miraculous healings. So let me prove it to you, okay? Because this is the crucial argument. Um, Romans chapter 15. This is so key. Listen to how Paul echoes Acts chapter 1-8, okay? Paul writes, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the, deci- the to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. Let me pause right there. The apostles don't just preach. They do deed ministry and he, and he defines the deed ministry. What is this deed ministry, Paul? Verse 19. By power. Oh, what does power mean, Paul? Do you mean like earnestness, you know, like eloquence, passion, no, he says the power of signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. He's echoing Acts chapter 1a, right? The, the power that the Holy Spirit gives so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum. Illyricum, by the way, is modern-day Yug- <coughs> Yugoslavia, so it's happening, right? He's, they've already left Judea, Samaria, and now they're on their way to the ends of the earth. I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. That's an unusual word, fulfilled. Who says that kind of word, fulfilled? Unless Paul is talking about the mission that Jesus specifically gave to the apostles. Paul says, "I have Acts chapter one eight on my mind. It's, it's, it's on my uh, uh, target. I'm fulfilling it. I'm doing it. I'm obeying Jesus. I'm going to the ends of the world. Okay. And he does it. He says with the power of the spirit, which is signs and wonders. Okay. Let me let me go on. Acts chapter 4, and with great power, there's that word again, power, right? With great power, the apostles were giving their testimony, that's their their witnessing, to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Power and witness connected, they're linked. Does that make sense? Acts chapter 5, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Signs and wonders is what the apostles do as part of their witness. Okay, let me keep going on. Acts chapter 2. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and, listen, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Right? Signs and wonders is uniquely connected and associated <coughs> with the apostles. Does that make sense? And then lastly, 2 um, Corinthians chapter 12. This is a key verse. <coughs> um, uh, let me write this down to 2 Corinthians 12, 12. All right, so we have three verses now, foundational. Listen to what Paul says, because this is basically, I feel like after reading this verse, I just want to end. Okay, let me read it to you. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience but signs and wonders and mighty works what are what is the distinctive unique sign of apostleship of the apostolic ministry it is signs wonders and what is it mighty works and let's pause and think about this for a moment because if if the apostles are foundational and unique and unrepeatable then then the signs and wonders that are the marks of apostleship are also foundational, unique, and repeatable. And therefore, follow the logic, the signs and wonders have ceased. That is the cessationist argument. Now, some people will say, aha, but you haven't proved that the signs and wonders is tongues, prophecies, and miraculous healings. That's true, I haven't. But let's assume the continuationist argument, which is prophecies... Uh, tongues and miraculous healings continue, what then has ceased? Because something must cease, right? Signs and wonders of the apostles say, what are those signs and wonders, if not miraculous healings, tongues and prophecy? What is it then? And if they continue, then why does Paul say they're distinctive signs of apostleship? Why would he say that? If it applies to everyone. If everyone has signs and wonders, if it's given to all in the church, Then why does he say this is the sign of apostleship? The sign of apostleship is faith. No, it's not. Everyone has faith. I mean, all believers have faith. What is unique that the apostles have that nobody else has? Signs and wonders. Right? Let me open it up for questions before we get to the next point. Clarifying question. Really? All right. So you understand the logic then? You understand the argument? Okay. Last. This is the last point, and obviously we're not going to go through the whole document. This document is for the next three weeks. So this is the last point. The purpose of signs and wonders are for attestation. What does the word attestation mean? Or attest? Vocabulary word. I should just pick on whoever's studying for the MCAT. No. Do they study <laughs> vocabulary words? Yes, they do. Who can tell me what a test means? All the MCAT studies. <laughs> okay, a test, means, um, <laughs> a test means to prove the genuineness of. Okay? This is what the Webster's Dictionary says it means to, to certify that something is true and correct to give proof of, right? Um, and so the signs and wonders is to attest. To the apostles' witnessing, okay? And let me give you some text to show you this. Acts chapter 2, this is Peter at Pentecost. This is what, notice the word attest, okay? Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. How do we know that Jesus is sent by God? How do we know that Jesus uh, uh, is the Messiah? Just because he says so? No, because he was attested to He was certified, he was verified by God because only God can grant signs, wonders, and mighty works. And Jesus had signs and wonders, and therefore that's how we know that Jesus is who he says he is. He's attested. The signs and wonders are not just there, like razzle dazzle, like fireworks shooting out of his arms. They're to prove that he is who he says he is, okay? It's to attest. Then look, Hebrews chapter 2. It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us, who's us? The church, right? It was attested to us by those who heard. Who's, who, this is a technical term meaning the apostles. While God also bore witness, bore witness is just another way to say attesting, by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So here is the cessationist argument. The apostles were attested to. God bore witness to the apostles' witnessing by giving them signs and wonders and what what does he say? Various miracles. And therefore, they have ceased because we don't need attestation anymore. Again, some people say, well, don't we need attesting even now? No, because we're not witnesses. The attesting is only for witnessing, for the original eyewitnesses and then notice what, what Hebrew says and by gifts of the Holy Spirit so already we know that some of the gifts is specifically for the purpose of attestation for proving the genuineness of the apostles witness and therefore right there already we see that some of the gifts therefore must have ceased again I haven't proven that it's not tongues prophecies and miraculous hillings, but what are they which gifts is Hebrews talking about that has now ceased that are connected uniquely to the apostles' attestation. Um, and let me let me just do Acts chapter 14. Now at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, listen, who bore witness, again, Jesus is saying these apostles aren't, have been sent by me let me bear witness let me prove the genuineness of their of their uh, 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 of their being sent out the lord who bore witness to the word of his grace granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands but the people of the city were divided some sided with jesus and some with the apostles and so Again, signs and wonders. I have not proven that signs and wonders are these extraordinary gifts. But something, we don't know what, but something is connected to the apostles being authentic, genuine eyewitnesses. And therefore, if it's for the purpose of eyewitness attestation, it's ceased. Because why do you need it anymore? Right? I don't need signs and wonders because I'm not an eyewitness. Of course, it would be great if I you know, shoot fireworks out of my hand. Right? But But that's just a power display. I'm not saying I've witnessed Jesus risen from the dead. I'm saying the apostles witnessed Jesus risen from the dead and the apostles are attested by their signs and wonders. Okay? Um, And again, the the continuation argument would be, yes, we need attestation today, especially in the mission field. And I think this confuses missions with apostleship. The apostles were missionaries, that's true. But missionaries don't do what the apostles did. The missionaries don't go to new lands and say, I have witnessed the Lord resurrected from the dead. No, they say they point back to Scripture. And they say the apostles, Peter, Paul, they've seen Jesus. So they're not apostles. And they're not doing foundational ministry. You know, I guess in a, in a certain broad sense, they're establishing the church in Papua New Guinea or Nigeria or whatever. But they're not doing a once and for all foundational, unrepeated, redemptive historical event that the apostles did. So attestation is not needed. Because attestation is uniquely connected. All right. Let me... That's it for today. <coughs> the arguments will continue uh, uh, next two weeks. But is there any questions? Let me let me throw it up. Please don't be shy. There is no dumb questions. <coughs> um,
1: so this argument. You're linking that specifically to signs and wonders.
0: Yes. Okay. So when I say extraordinary gifts... I'm just saying signs and wonders have ceased I haven't proven that the signs and wonders are these specific gifts but I'm laying the groundwork
1: To, well, to like many people, saying 20, many, I can't remember who it was specifically, but he yeah. said, like Your sins are forgiven. And then the, the Pharisees were like, Well, nobody can say this except for God alone. And so he only, and then he said, Well, I'll give you a sign, basically, so it's easier to say. Yeah. But there are other people who could do signs as well. I mean,
0: right. And I think one of the questions people ask is, Um, But apostles were not the only ones who demonstrated these signs. There were others who had the gift of prophecy, like Agabus, for example. He's not an apostle. So I would say that is true. The apostles uniquely had signs and wonders, but basically the entire apostolic ministry, the circle of apostolic uh, 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 co-workers demonstrated these signs and wonders. For example, Luke. We know Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke. He wrote Acts. He is not an apostle. He says so himself. So how do we know, How can he, how can he uh, do apostolic teaching? Because he was connected to Paul. He was connected to the circle of apostles. But once the apostolic age has ended, there is no more apostolic ministry. There's no one connected to the apostles. There's no one saying, I've spoken to the apostles, I'm writing down what they say. And so therefore, all of these signs and wonders have no more purpose. I guess that's the cessationist argument. The purpose... Is for this foundational laying down, and since that purpose is no longer uh, 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 needed, the signs and wonders have ceased.
1: Okay, so you're saying other? You're not saying that all of the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. No,
0: of course not. Okay. Of course not. I'm saying only the extraordinary <laughs> gifts. Okay. Yeah. That's a great question. I saw another hand. Jeff. What about exorcism. Uh, exorcism, I would include with miraculous healings because. Um, a, 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 a satanic possession or demon possession is connected with illness and so I would throw, the, I mean, so yeah, I can put exorcism right yes. Exorcism has ceased. No more exorcisms.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> with all due respect to my uh, continuations brothers. Any other questions? Yes. Um,
1: so two-part question, part one. Um, what do we ought to make of people who
0: pray in tongues and prophesy? Number two, and Chuck can probably attest this too. Like we've seen people getting healed, people with legs growing, et cetera. What do we say about that? Um, That is definitely uh, a, a difficult question. If you've seen legs grow, I don't know what to say to that. Uh, I personally have not seen it. So I guess I would say that Experience is definitely a valid argument. It's not invalid, but I would say it's not definitive or uh, it ends the argument. Because I think a lot of times continue to say, but I've seen it. I'll just say, I haven't seen it. So where are we, right? So I I think um, I would say, what about people who say they have prophecy, people who say they have uh, miraculous healings? Let me say this very, very, very gently and very, very respectfully because I love these brothers, but I would say they're mistaken. That's my answer. They're mistaken. And uh, the Bible actually warns about false signs and false prophecy. I'm not saying they're false; they're doing false prophecy or false signs. But I think this is one of the ways that Satan can do destructive damage. I'm not saying this is all charismatics. But there is a wing of charismatics that, frankly, they go crazy. <laughs> Right, they like they become like demagogues in their you know circle, and then they draw power to themselves. You know they become like Lord Sauron, and 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 all kinds of heretical views or positions have been pushed by these sort of charismatic leaders who say you know I have you know prophecy. and So I'm not saying everyone, by the way, John Piper, you know, go these are beloved brothers. So, you know they're not you know, they would look at these brothers and say no they're crazy, don't listen to them. But I'm saying it lends to it it it's I mean, uh, a, a crazy guy says, "I got a fresh revelation. Ignore the Bible. I'm going to tell you the truth." As a cessation, I'll be like, "What are you talking about? You know, put away your, your, your pipe." But to a continuationist, you might say, "Oh, maybe." So I think continuationism opens the door to leaders who might manipulate. And so I'm not. Let me say it very gently, very, very, very gently, because uh, I would say the vast, not vast. That's too strong a word. I would say a big chunk of the charismatic movement is truly <gasps> biblical and Christian, and they preach the gospel, and I love them. Uh, but I would say on this issue, they're mistaken. Because there's there's a there's a ability to psychologically fool yourself. Wait,
1: so John Piper is somebody in the camp of... Yeah, they're, 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 there's a
0: group of I would say very close brothers which we call Reformed Baptists. Yeah. They call themselves Charismatics with seatbelts on. Um, so they're they're very they're very cautious, you know. And and and, uh, uh, and so if you go to their services, it's very toned down. You know, mm-hmm. they're not extremely extravagant. But they just won't rule out. No, they the won't seat. rule this out. This position is considered very hard, very um, extreme. I'll agree it's it's a hard position because it's saying no prophecies, no tongues.
1: So what are we saying? I'm a little confused now after that last question. So okay. We're saying extraordinary gifts. I'm understanding that to be signs and wonders. Yes. And we're not ruling out miraculous healings, prophecy,
0: or tongues. No, I am. I'm ruling that out. Oh, you are. I'm that. ruling it out, yeah. Sorry if I muddied the waters. I'm saying other people believe they continue and my argument, I don't know how to explain it, frankly. I don't know. I don't know what you saw, Chewy. I don't know. But I, I I would say something else is going on. Not necessarily the spirit. It could be innocent, it could just be, you know, genuine mistaken. So let's say you are like a reformed continuationist. Do you you believe that like, the gift <coughs> exists, prophecy <coughs> exists, but it's rare, it's it's not something that... No, no, no. Not yeah. rare. <clears throat> oh, you're saying, you're saying continuation. Oh, so it's reform, rare. Yeah. The so they ages. Reform continuation say it's rare. Yeah, yeah. It's, like not, it's not like you go to church and then, oh, you're assigned this one, you're assigned this one. You know, it's something that God gives individual people. By the way, can I just say, continuationists, reform continuationists say it's rare. So, already, they've introduced an argument that there's no scriptural warrant for, uh-huh. which is that the gifts are super intense and awesome in the acts, and then they wane, and they become very rare. Yeah. Where's the biblical argument for that? That's just as much as a leap. I would say even way more of a leap than the continuation argument, which says it cuts it off. So I would say Reformed Baptists or my Reformed brothers, where did you get the waning argument? Okay. Anyway, go on. But I would say, like, um, let's say you are a Reformed continuationist. How would you be able to deduce, like, okay, let's say like somebody is like claiming to be like a prophet and they do say things, like, will address say, that next. Let's week. say the Bible. Is I'm going to do prophecy next week. Fine, find something else then let's okay. say healing. Let's say let's say the Bible is your safeguard, right? Yeah. You're like you know what what they're doing, what they're saying. It lines up biblically. It's not like, like yeah. Great but, heresy. T- but but for me as a cessationist, I I I, I hold this position on biblical grounds, not an experience. Sure. I would rule out all healing. So when someone tells me I've seen someone uh, healed miraculously, I'm not saying healings don't continue. By the way, God heals. When, when, when you have a friend who has cancer, pray. Say, God, heal my friend. Because you can heal. But miraculous healings, by the way, miraculous healings were truly spectacular. This is someone who's crippled for life. Their legs are shriveled up. Boom, they start walking. I'm saying that kind of extraordinary miraculous healing, I rule it out. So when people say I've seen it, I'm, I always say, okay, I mean, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. <laughs> you too. <laughs> alright let me close it. let me pray Heavenly Father thank you for scripture uh, 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 for this rich topic even if we don't agree and certainly we won't uh, we can certainly show each other charity and it's certainly uh, nutri- uh, uh, valuable and edifying to consider these things we praise your name that you love us and you care for us and we pray for the worship service that um, you would be honored and glorified we praise in Christ's name Amen alright